Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. First episode, so makes some sense to tell you a little bit about myself, but more what to expect from this podcast. What sort of show is this going to be? Why should you give me and it your time and attention when there is so much out there from which to choose? This first show is definitely going to be looser in terms of topics and probably going to bounce a little bit more than future shows because I'm just trying to share, give you a little bit of an idea from a lot of different perspectives of what this is all about. Because yes, while it is a weekly podcast where, you know, just like every other podcast out there, you tune in and, and sort of listen to somebody's take on the world, a take on a specific thing, sharing their expertise with you. Um, this podcast is actually only a small part of a much bigger project that I've been weaving together for almost eight years now. So while it can be enjoyed all on its own, it's intended to be shared and to be appreciated as it connects to the other projects, at least one in particular for the next three months. And we'll get to what that project is a little bit later in today's episode. So who am I? Oh, I'm a 44-year-old American woman, grew up in Michigan, the state of Michigan, born in Detroit, moved to the burbs of Detroit when I was nine years old, uh, was an athlete, you know, a, a pretty successful athlete and student, and as such had a pretty mainstream life all the way through college. A couple college degrees, got a master's degree. However, when I left the security, the safety, the sort of defined nature of the academic world and what it was to be a student and one that was very active in a lot of um, activities and clubs other than being in the classroom, once I graduated and got out into the quote-unquote real world, boy, did my struggle begin almost immediately. I kind of already knew that that was going to be the case. I knew that I was wired from a very young age. I knew that I was tapping in to a much greater reality around us than what I saw or could sense with just my limited five senses. I'm a very sensitive being. Um, I've got a very powerful mind, but also an enormous heart. And I definitely 
was not prepared for the limited structure of sort of that general expectation that is, uh, you know, unintentionally or in some cases intentionally placed upon folks that have more of that traditional life path, going to school and, and, you know, then getting a job and succeeding in, you know, getting a home and having a family and doing all of those things. Well, that was not going to be my course of action. Um, I tried. I tried for the better part of 12 years until my early 30s to fit into that mainstream world. And it came at a pretty high cost in terms of my happiness, my fulfillment. Um, Really didn't have much. uh, I had glimpses of some happy times, mostly in my early 20s. But from that point on, I struggled. Finally, in 2009, I waved the white flag and I sort of began to just surrender myself, admitting to myself finally how unhappy I was, how unfulfilled I was, how lost I was in my own head, in my own world. And I knew I had so much to contribute to this world, but I just could not find my way in, you know, like all the the rest of the people that were in my life and in my network. Enter 2010. So 2009, I began some very conscious spiritual work. Um, Actually, I don't know that I could have labeled it as such back then, because as I mentioned, I didn't know what a chakra was. I didn't, I didn't, my world perspective was very myopic um, as of still in 29, in 2009. And then I was preparing to move to Seattle, Washington, very much calling me the West Coast was, specifically the Pacific Northwest. And I didn't want to take all my baggage with me. So, and I sensed that a lot of it went to my childhood and went back to my roots, which I think for all of us to varying degrees, um, you know, what goes on and established at our foundation, in our immediate families, that's big stuff. Uh, And if you're lucky, You've got a great home environment with loving parents and parents that stay, stay together. And that wasn't the case in my home. And it contributed a great deal to my very bright light going out in early high school. And so I knew I had to go home and sort of address that. Not place blame on anybody, but just in an effort to finally gain some better control over my own existence. I needed to understand a little bit more and stop running from the deep pain that I had buried for decades by this point. So I went home to Detroit, to Plymouth actually, just outside of Detroit in Michigan in 2010, just hoping to get back on the road of happy. That's all I was wanting to do. I just wanted to take a little bit less of all my crap out to Seattle and feel a little bit confident about being on a happy road again instead of just this barely surviving road. Well, what ended up happening was nothing short than a flat-out, full-blown spiritual awakening. I don't even know. There's just no way to even describe what happened with words alone. Um, Suffice to say, everything shifted almost immediately. 
And I have a point of no return date. November 18th, 2010 was my point of no return. Meaning I had finally, finally touched the light enough where I knew I was never going back. I was no longer going to try to fit into a version of reality that on some level I always knew was not even close to the whole story. And what I realized was that I had been looking outside of myself to validate this deep, deep connection and knowing to the greater truth, to the greater reality. And as of November 18th, 2010, I finally had gotten to the point where I gave myself permission to go after the life of my dreams. (laughs) Now at 35 years old, this is kind of a scary thing. It actually wasn't scary for the first two years. For the first two years, it was exhilarating. From the end of 2010 to the end of 2012, it was like I was reborn. I went out, moved to Seattle, had the best 14-month experience there, an incredible year of work at Microsoft. My heart was wide open. Everything. I just couldn't believe the extent to which my outer world began to shift as I finally found that peace and that harmony inside, in my inner world. And as such, my entire reality shifted. I felt like I had the secrets to the universe and I couldn't wait to share them with pretty much anybody and everybody. I've also been very entrepreneurial since I was young. I was uh, the manager and a part owner, uh, albeit mostly through free work, not through actual capital, of a small business when I was still just in high school. So I've always known I was going to be the owner of my own company. I had started that in January, January 1st of 2013. I launched my company of me, which is simply my full name. And then I've got a half a dozen DBAs doing business as So like I said, this podcast is really just a small part of a much bigger picture. I've had a YouTube channel uh, pretty much that insane exact time period since April of 2013 that sort of has served as a collecting point of tracking this entire journey and all of the immense growth that I've experienced since basically dedicating my life to this newfound awareness, to this understanding, unprecedented understanding of how connected we all are and how what we see and what we have come together to create in mass on our planet is still so very far from the greater truths. And we've barely touched the tip of the iceberg of what it means to be human and what our potential is as a human species. So probably by listening to that right there, you've been able to garner that one of the underlying assumptions of my show is that we are going through a massive shift in consciousness on this planet for those for whom that resonates. Now, there's a lot of people on this planet And not even close to every single person is aware of the shift. Not even close to every single person cares about the shift. And that matters not. This show is geared towards 
people for whom this sort of thing resonates. It just makes sense to you that there's a lot more going on, that there's actually a lot more in the unseen world that we classify, that can be classified as real and reality than what we can sense in our very limited human perspective. So that's one of the big underlying assumptions of the show. Now, one of the many jobs that I've had in my 44 years in this life has been as a formal teacher, because I would say that we're all students and teachers to one another out there in our lives. But clearly, some of us are intended and are called to a pro- the profession or more of a profession of teaching. So I was a teacher for two years. I got my graduate degree in secondary social science education and went back and started teaching when I was 29 years old. And I lasted only two years, but it was a tremendous two years, especially those kids. I loved my kids. The system, not so much. Uh, The learning environment, not at all. My fellow staff members, whoa, let's just say it was from the adult side of things, it was a shocking two years. And from the kids side, it was unbelievable. It was magical. And those kids and my experience with them absolutely inspired me to go after my own dreams as I was constantly preaching to them. So in a classroom environment, it's very important, especially with younger kids. And I would argue middle school might be the most important of the three, of elementary, middle, and high school. Oh, that is a funky time. And any of you with, that are parents, which I am not, know how tough it is when those kids start coming into teenage, those early teenage years, how hard they can be on one another. Oh my gosh, the pressures. I personally, my middle school years were some of the best years of my life, seventh and eighth grade were. Truly, to this day, memories from my seventh and eighth grade years are top, many of them, some of my top memories. And, but when I was a teacher, I witnessed firsthand how rough these kids can be. So it's really important that you establish a safe environment. They need to feel like they can, that they're safe in your classroom, that they can express that they're not going to be attacked in any way, shape, or form for anything that they do, anything that they say, mistake that they perceive themselves to make. You know, you've got to create a safe but disciplined learning environment. And one of my favorite things to do was to decorate my classroom. And I had all sorts of things, obviously geography related, which was the topic I was teaching. But I had just as many things all around the classroom that were representative of just learning and education and the obtainment of knowledge in general. And I remember on the very first day, one of the exercises I did with the kids was I had them look around the classroom, take as much time as they needed. And I asked them to select three things from the walls, three separate things that, you know, really affected them the most, that grabbed their attention, that, you know, that they could resonate with, that they, I didn't use that word with them, but that caught their attention 
What are your top three favorite? I think I probably phrased it as their favorite things on the wall. And I asked them for each one to write why they selected it and also why they thought I put it on the wall. And by far, this one poster was selected by my kids more than like so. I I can't remember the percentage. I want to say like over 50% of them chose this one as one of their three top favorite things on the wall. And it was a poster that said, how do you live your life when no one else is looking? How do you live your life when no one else is looking? Okay, so now we've got establishing a safe environment, trying to establish a tone of who are you for real, right? Because let's get real. If we're going to have this time together each week, the goal is to create an environment where we begin to play with this energy so it's light and fun from that perspective, dropping all boundaries, losing all definitions, Removing ourselves from labels and hierarchies. That's the fun part. The perhaps not so fun part for some people is this is responsibility. This is taking full responsibility for your life. You cannot bullshit the universe. You know, like we live in a world where we sure had a lot of tools to make something appear on the surface to be something that we all know when you get down to it, what it really is. Whether you're talking about an individual, whether you're talking about a group or a company or a system, fill in the blank. We've evolved to this beautiful, crazy level where it's really hard. We've got a lot of tools to make things look really good on the surface. And the only way you really get to know what something really is is time slowing down and giving. So right there, I lose tons of listeners, right? Because I'm going to ask you to slow down with me for these 60 minutes. I'm going to ask you to loosen, loosen, loosen your mind, loosen your heart. Let it be free. If only for 60 minutes, follow me on these crazy tangents. Just go with me because I promise you, that it's balanced with a very real understanding of how big my responsibility is as an individual human being with the level of awareness that I have on our planet at these times. I want to make it light and fun, but I'm not fucking around. Like I'm coming at you with a eight-year rollout of this plan. And the podcast is just one piece of the puzzle. It's going to be designed where absolutely people can just tune into the podcast and they can enjoy an episode here, an episode there, and fully get an idea of what I'm about. But boy, if you follow it through some of these other pieces, and I'm speaking mostly right now to people that already know me, so people that have, you know, that are Facebook friends with me, YouTube channel subscribers, I have been weaving together very consciously a very different reality. Yes, for myself, with my own life, that's the only thing I have any control over. 
but with the intention of guiding many, many more to a very different version of reality. One based in love, not fear. One based in abundance, not lack. One based in cooperation, not competition. The energy game versus the money game. But this is a no-bullshit adult game. I'm not saying there aren't kids. In fact, there's a lot of teenagers that would likely resonate with my show. I would argue, as a little drop point here, because our souls choose these lives. Every single one of us chose to be alive on planet Earth at this exact time for much bigger reasons than to just pay bills. And this younger generation, the millennials and the ones after them, they're coming with a high level. They're like pre-wired for the awakening that's taking place. They don't need to be convinced of almost nothing. They will feel it. But I don't want, in this day and age, you cannot mess around with lawyers and all that garbage. So this is an adult show. If I have to classify it, like my YouTube channel is classified as an adult channel. Big boys, big girls, men and women making choices, owning those choices, taking full responsibility for your life. I'll grant you, there are many of us that have been dealt harder hands than others, but your soul chose that. And if you can just rise above your human character and just be open for a second that there's a greater part of you, your essence, your spirit, your soul, that designed this for your character and all the characters with whom your character meets and crosses paths with and plays with and works with. This is all part of a much larger plan that's unfolding. And my awareness of that led me directly to how I've been living my life with every single choice for eight years now. And I was aided in that because of a very real, in the 3D world, a very real leap of faith taken financially when I invested almost six figures in the launching of my company and as such, the launching of this lifelong vision I've had since I was a little girl, entirely based and now permitted myself to pursue ever since my own spiritual awakening. This idea of showing, being able to use my own life to show you what a different world we can come together to create. And quickly, if We want to, but it requires taking responsibility. It requires being open to genuine change and really letting go of needing to see something to believe it because you got to believe it's possible before you experience it. And this is the journey that my show is going to take you on. Now, while I'm eager to play really high in the tree and dance really high up in those branches, the first three months are very specifically tied to a project called Ripple 2020. Ripple 2020 has as its goal to raise $4 million by $1 increments. After taxes, 
that will leave approximately $2.5 million, which then, after all $4 million is raised, then we will distribute, pay the taxes, and distribute all the remaining money to a list of predetermined beneficiaries with the overall goal of this being a massive pay-it-forward energetic experiment of an example showing how through one person an idea can come through representing there's a financial component, an economic component, the whole darn thing spiritual. It's going to be invested highly in artists and people in the field of health and well-being, entrepreneurs, and also nonprofits. And you get to be a part of this, for it does not exist at this moment. At this moment, it's an idea. At this moment, I have iterations of lists of beneficiaries. But at present, I do not have an official member yet. This is all going to be co-created with you, the listener, and me, and the many others that I hope to spread this project through. That leads me to the first 10 episodes. I'm going to go to the most powerful people I know in the most direct ways in the 3D world. This includes NBA players. This includes people extremely high up in companies like Microsoft and Iron Man. This includes a U.S. Secret Service agent. This includes former politicians. This includes Joe Rogan, to whom I'm not directed by one degree, but the home in which all of this was birthed almost eight years ago was a home owned by a man that has been interviewed by Joe Rogan three times and that I guarantee you Joe Rogan knows this guy by name. And I share all these things. And then the final three are three big, powerful people in my, in my network, not quite as famous, perhaps, as some of the other stories that I will be sharing. But these last three are direct. Like, I can reach out to them directly. And the reason in each week of the next 10 will be focused on one of these areas and relationships out in the world of 3D. Because that is my unique marketing strategy for Ripple 2020. I will not reach out to them until the project is a lot more formulated. But this is not, this is not a rocket science project. This is an exercise of trust and faith, and belief in the ability of us as human beings to come together and do things differently. That's Ripple 2020. It's why it needs to spread to at least 4 million people. It's got to have some oomph here if it's going to have the intended effect, as the word suggests, rippling effect. The goal is to positively affect as many people as possible with this very focused investment of this very focused resource of money, but one that is tough to obtain, especially for people who aren't resonating with the mainstream game. It's not easy being an artist. It's not easy if you don't, if you do things differently. And if you're not, you're not trying to do it differently just to piss anybody off or to stir the pot. 
You're just trying to live your life as the unique being that you are. And it's challenging to do that in the world that we've created. Yet that energy needs representation on our planet now, arguably, more than ever before because of the massive imbalance that we are presently all living through. That should not be debatable anymore. That's not something I will debate. If you want to argue or debate anything with me, tune into a different show. This is not about fighting any longer. This is finding the win-wins. This is believing first. You're not going to experience it unless you really believe we can do better. I believe we as humans can do better. And I've seen it in my own life. And now it's time to take all of my skill sets, everything that makes me me, put together my best game and go find a court to play on. And I will pitch it to all of these people, these powerful people. Right now I'm not because it's not together yet. But I will share the story story with you to try to entice you to follow along because you'll be part of it. The beneficiaries won't come unless people donate. People won't donate unless the beneficiaries. And I am more than willing to play this. This conduit role is easy peasy, man. I've been preparing for this role to be the conduit of an idea like this for this entire life. I'm ready. But what I'm no longer going to do is I'm no longer going to be the one that's doing all the work. When I was a teacher... I did so much work. My mom was a teacher and other friends who were teachers are like, God, you leave something for the kid to do. Like you do so much. And I did. In my relationships. I did. I dominated them. And a lot of that traces back to the fear of abandonment because I come from a divorced home. Times two. So I understand that now. And I'm no longer interested in fact, it's embarrassing. It's one of the hardest things I've had to look back on in my life from my spiritually awakened perspective and forgive myself and be easy on myself as I look and I understand my younger version now in a way I never did. And I'm like, oh my God, look at all the oversharing you were always doing. Dominating. You wouldn't even let people respond a lot of times. I'm no longer doing all the work. I am so ready to roll out this plan. And when you hear the stories, it's basically like you tell me. Everything I share with you is true. You tell me that it's not an accident. That I've lived the exact journey that I've lived and met the exact people that I've met. All of it was leading to this point. And... You know, this first episode I know is going to be the hardest because I'm trying to entice enough, trying to describe something you just can't describe with words, which is why I, when I finally decided to launch the podcast, I decided it made the most sense to also use it and interweave it with the launching of Ripple 2020. Again, a project, it was called Evolt when it first sort of, the first two iterations were called Evolt. 
And this is the third iteration of being the conduit of money. I began my company with pay it forward investment of about $50,000 into others. Of course, nothing went right at all, but the lessons were be so far beyond that investment, so far beyond. And even though nothing went according to plan, there was never a doubt in my mind. There was never a regret for the decision that I made to launch my company in the exact way that I did. But what I learned that time is you do not go almost six figures into debt for free, especially when you don't, you don't have the money. Like I did this all through 0% financing and I had a plan and I had 12 months to put that plan in action and to be earning money by the end of the 12 months to begin paying back my 0% credit card offers that I utilized to fund the launching of all of this. And I wasn't anywhere near earning money. In fact, here I am seven and a half years later. And while I do claim income for my company, I claim my 1099 race income. That's not the the dream work of my company. I'm not speaking on stage yet, which I thought I would be doing seven years ago. I'm not yet publishing books, although the first one is in progress right now. I'm not yet earning money doing the work of my soul. And one of many, although this is a distant intention, but I must be transparent with the entire project, a part of that, selfishly, yes, if this $4 million fundraising effort by this little nobody, you know, I'm a nobody in 3D world. So if a little nobody reaches out to all the somebodies that she knows, manages to put together a tight enough program here where they're willing to give a dollar and spread and give their name to it and spread it through their own networks, you will soon be able to connect the dots of how easy this can be done. And it really is an exercise, though, of belief, faith, and trust. And because it doesn't happen unless 4 million people give a dollar. And... 100 plus beneficiaries agree to be part of the project and as such aligned with me as well. Because this is, especially in the beginning, it's going to look a little wild. It's going to sound a little wild. And when I first launched everything seven and a half years ago, one of the most shocking things that I was not at all prepared for was how terrified everybody close to me was of what I was doing. And I did have a level of awareness that that was going to be the case, but I drastically underestimated the extent to which everybody close to me, family and friends, pretty much took off in the opposite direction. Because I did put myself in a walloping, quote unquote, reality of the 3D world when I peaked out at $96,480 of debt, which I eliminated less than three years later. But it was that leap of faith that allowed spirit, that allowed it to be so easy for me to surrender the driver's seat to spirit. Because when you've got a fire that big under your butt, there are a lot of choices when things are that dire that just become crystal clear. They're not good or easy. They're not necessarily a lot of times I had shitty choice A, shitty choice B, shitty choice C. But the choices that I had to make as I navigated this huge leap of faith 
were so clear and it's just never been a doubt in my mind that spirit guided me to take that leap of faith. And as such, I learned though, I'm not going to go into debt, but the amount of money that I'm going to take from this project is four thousandths of what I'm intending to raise. And I don't get a cent unless the project, unless and until the project is successful. But the, one of the many aspects of it is that this will be a 100% transparent project. You'll know exactly how much goes to taxes. You'll know exactly how much goes to PayPal and all the in-between costs. And that's it. It's just the third person costs, taxes, and the small amount that I'm going to take. And then what each beneficiary is going to get. So that is the high level description of Ripple 2020. Allow me to bridge the idea now back to the podcast with a week-by-week preview of the next 10 episodes. The overall framework for each week will be as follows. There will be an overriding theme to the show. There will be at least one personality, in some cases multiple personalities featured, around whom I will share a story and quite likely stories within the story. And finally, I will share how I envision what I imagine it could mean to the project of Ripple at all, should I be fortunate enough to garner the potential support and the potential willingness of said personalities to spread the idea of Ripple 2020 through their own network. And we'll play around with how I've literally imagined this could affect the entire project. Okay, starting with the future, we're going to start with episode 11 and work our way backwards. Here is a sneak peek. Episode 11, Less is More. And the personality is a young woman who is a radio DJ in three markets, Minneapolis, Cincinnati, and Atlanta. Episode 10, Love in Business. And if you haven't noticed thus far, a large number of these themes, sorry, side note here, a large number of the themes, not every single one, but over half of them are paradoxical phrases. And the reason for this is simple. Uh, One of my greatest influences early on post-awakening was this guy named Bashar. And Bashar said of these times, there is tremendous power in paradox. And without doubt, I have personally experienced this over the past eight years to be so true. It's hard to explain. That's why I will touch upon the stories in a lot of cases will help go deeper within the seemingly contradictory nature of some of these themes. The first one, less is more. The second one, love in business. Okay, sidebar, back to the previews. Episode 10, love in business. The personality around whom this week will center is a childhood friend of mine from all the way going back all the way to elementary school. He is the Michael Jordan, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant of the violin, the musical world, and particularly his instrument is the violin. He is a genius musician who has performed on Broadway, 
on Grammy Award-winning albums, on musical scores for Hollywood films, and he's toured the world with the likes of Barbra Streisand, Billy Joel, and Josh Groban. I've got a direct line to him and definitely plan to reach out once the project gets more formulated. Okay, episode number nine, Strength in Vulnerability. This episode will feature two fellow Kosovo scholars. The Kosovo Society was a unique honor society, or is, I should say, a unique honor society at the University of South Florida, my alma mater, times three. After I relinquished my athletic scholarship early into my sophomore year, I was fortunate enough to be selected to be part of this honor society. And while there are many strong influences throughout my life that have imprinted upon me and as such affected everything I'm working to be and do in my life, Harry and Ruth Kosov, without doubt, the example they set was one of the biggest influences in my young life. What they set out to create and the fact that they gave, they didn't have children of their own. They had, Harry had achieved tremendous success in America. And as immigrants, they wanted to give back to the country that had treated them so well. And they knew the importance and the value of education and their vision for the world. There's no way I couldn't not tie in the coast of society with Ripple. And these two particular members were members around the same time that were admitted around the same time to the organization as I was. They both happened to be doctors and were not particularly close at present, but in the past, we were very close. So that will be episode nine. Episode eight, meeting visions. This is the episode that I will speak of the potential of reaching Joe Rogan through a man named Rick Doblin. Rick Doblin is perhaps the most influential slash famous graduate of a small little college here in Sarasota called New College. And since my time living here, I have met and know multiple New College graduates. And Rick and his friends many decades ago built this home in Sarasota here that I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to rent a room in, the master bedroom, for three months when I first landed back in Sarasota, unplanned, because I never planned to return to Florida after I moved to Seattle. And I ended up at Rick's house. Everything that I'm describing to you, all of this, the entire my company was literally birthed. My original address when I launched my company of me was the home that he owns. And this man has been interviewed by Joe Rogan three times. So once the project gets to a particular point, I will be reaching out to Rick to see if not only Rick is willing to spread the idea through his enormous network, but also I will reach out and ask if he can try to get it in front of the eyes of Joe Rogan. Episode 7, Anything is Possible. That will be a week where I talk about my experiences at Microsoft and Iron Man. 
I am currently a contract worker with the World Triathlon Corporation, otherwise known as Ironman. Very powerful, influential company that is worldwide. And I maintain from the moment that job landed in my lap that it was not an accident, not a coincidence. And part of what I will be sharing, in fact, episode 12 will be entirely about Iron Man. Okay, episode six, flexibility in discipline. This will be a story centered around an Australian woman who's a professional triathlete. Her husband also happens to be a professional triathlete. They're a power couple in the world of which I've been very active the past five years as a contract employee in that world. Episode five, integrity in leadership. This is a story that I will share about a former politician, state house representative, uh, Lee Moffitt. Lee Moffitt, while serving in politics, headed up and initiated the founding of a cancer research center, the H. Lee Moffitt Cancer Research Center, located on the campus of my alma mater in Tampa, is a world-renowned cancer research center. And I know Lee through my ex-husband's family. They are great friends of Lee Moffitt, and my ex-father-in-law was actually one of the founders of the Cancer Research Center. So this episode will speak about my relationship with them, and more specifically, about how these men modeled insane levels of integrity in philanthropy, in business, and in politics. Okay, Episode number four, all is valid. This is a pretty crazy story that involves the presence of Donald Trump on one of the courses for which I was serving as a timer. It was a bicycle race that took place in Delray Beach, 2017, and Donald Trump was at the Mar-a-Laga, and the Mar-a-Laga was on our course. This story is wild, and what was even wilder is learning that my Secret Service friend was actually, I'll save the story, but this is a pretty crazy story. So that will be episode number four. All is valid. Episode number three, do something. This is a talk, this will be a story that from Australia, from 1998, when I studied abroad in Australia for a semester, and I had the opportunity to meet Andrew Shu. You may know his sister more so than him, although neither one has been very prevalent in movies of late. Andrew, at the time that I met him, was starring on a show called Melrose Place, one that I was pretty addicted to back in the 90s. And his sister, Elizabeth Shue, has starred in, gosh, one of my favorite films with her was Adventures in Babysitting. But she's been uh, prevalent more so than him. And the conversation I had at the table and then later on the bus with Andrew was, again, a influential part in my young life at the time. And that week's, we'll talk about that experience. And finally, next week's episode, humility in confidence. Humility in confidence. 
This just happens to also be perhaps the most relevant phrase to where I am right now. I've never really struggled with humility. I've always, I was raised to be humble. So that's never been a problem. My confidence, however, after being a genuine leader all the way through college, because of my struggle in the world post-college, the world into which I could not fit myself, I haven't had the opportunity as an adult to show my leadership skills, the, the skills that were a huge part of my world all the way up until 22 years old. And that, so regaining my confidence without having had those opportunities as an adult has been no small task. And especially having the gall to set out with a project of this magnitude being the relative nobody that the 3D world sees me as. I, of course, don't see myself as a nobody, but I have to be real that in the third dimension mainstream world, I'm a giant nobody. And so rebuilding my confidence to be able to stand tall in everything that I am attempting to be and do has been genuine work. And the model, the original model that I always have in the back of my head that showed this to me from the moment uh, sixth grade, I had the opportunity to play one-on-one basketball with Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas of the 90s Bad Boys Detroit Pistons basketball team. And meeting Joe Dumars in particular set a tone for what I wanted to model my entire energy, my life and my energy around what I felt and witnessed and experienced with him in this one afternoon as a sixth grader, as a 12-year-old. And not only will I speak about Joe Dumars, but I'm also going to speak about a guy named Chucky Atkins. Chucky played at basketball at USF while I was playing ball there. And Chucky made it all the way to the NBA, but he did not make it the traditional way. And Chucky even played for the Pistons. So speaking of these guys, next week, both of them exemplifying what it is to have humility and balancing that with tremendous confidence. Okay, so those are the episodes. Let's conclude this week by just sharing where my inspiration, my original inspiration for this particular idea of which Ripple is iteration number three, I just want to drop the point here. I'm not going to elaborate. Came from one of my favorite TV shows, The West Wing, which aired on TV in the late 90s and in the early 2000s. Season one, episode 20, called Mandatory Minimums. In that season, in that episode, there was a particular number quoted. And that is what inspired the amount and this entire effort. And there will be more on that in the future. But I point that out now because I have been strongly influenced by the idealistic nature of what our country is and what is represented or what was represented by how our founding fathers imagined America to be. And through the idea of politics, I have always been tremendously inspired by that. But in the past decades, I've been wholly 
uninspired by the reality of what our politics has become. Because I feel that it's nowhere near what the Founding Fathers had in mind when they originated our country. With that said, that is why I'm launching very particularly and purposely on July 4th. And that is also why the the title of the project is framed like an election. You know, like Trump 2020, Biden 2020, Ripple 2020. It's as if I'm running an idea. So I'm trying and working to attempt to tie into something that's already established and familiar, but yet reveal an opportunity for it to be entirely different, if that makes sense. Running an idea versus running a personality. And very much inspired by what the ideals of our country are. And finally, allow me to just share We are shifting from a paradigm of seeing is believing to one where you've got to believe it first before you will see it. So what I'm attempting to do with this project, it's not in seeable form, if you will. And as such, for most people, it's not yet real because they can't see it. It's just an idea. So this entire first three months of best damn reality is to show you an example of the universal truth, which is this, the physical manifestation of anything. In other words, when it becomes and gets to the point when most people are able to say, okay, that's real because I can see it. That is actually the last piece that clicks in. Everything that we see in physical form begins with a thought, an idea. So for the next three months, I invite you to join me to co-create and to bring into realness, into reality, Ripple 2020. And as such, it will serve as an example just in my life of the best damn story, the best damn reality that I can come up with all on my own. And clearly I need co-creators, but I've structured it so that what I need from others is minimal. A dollar and your willingness to put your name behind it through your own network. And I invite you to watch what we can do. And how a very different reality then can be extrapolated out from this one example. Thank you for listening for this first week. I ask you, give me four episodes. I know this is out there. I know. Just give me four episodes if you can. And I think that will be enough to get you hooked to this idea. And to invite you and to see what a massive part every one of you can play. And if it doesn't, you know, float your boat, if it's not your thing, but if you know of somebody else in your life for whom, you know, this might make some sense, this might be entertaining or interesting to them, I ask you to pass it along to them. Thank you again for your time and for your attention. Have a fantastic Rest of your week, happy 4th of July, and I'll look forward to journeying with you again in one week's time.
Thanks.